Welcome back, or welcome to Grateful and Full of Greatness. I'm your host, Mark Lucini. On this podcast, I sit down with guests who, in my opinion, live their lives with the pursuit of greatness in mind. This platform allows me to discuss and to explain strategies that go into reaching peak performance. This is episode number 26, and my guest is Thomas Newman. Currently, he is the Director of Student Performance and Innovation at Yale University. I have the absolute privilege of learning from and training under his guidance and expertise while competing for the Yale Men's Varsity Lacrosse Program. With zero exaggeration, I can honestly say Coach Newman took my performance to a whole new level through his knowledge, insight, and inspiration inside the realms of strength and conditioning, nutrition, and recovery. His dedication to learning and to teaching cutting-edge training solutions and the factors that lead to high performance is evident. Not only did Thomas Newman play an integral role in my development as an athlete, he relentlessly continues to help Yale sports teams climb the national rankings to this day by building stronger, more capable, and durable student-athletes across the board. I'm lucky enough to lean on him for advice and to call him a good friend, and we are lucky enough to have him on here right now. So, Coach Newman, thanks for taking the time. Oh, thank you. Thank you. It's, it's awesome to be here. I'm excited. So the first thing that comes to mind is a rage to master. Uh, we've had long conversations, uh, but back when I was a student athlete at Yale about performance, you really took me to a whole nother level. That introduction, uh, I, like I said, was no exaggeration, uh, but it always seems like you're searching and discovering new ways uh, uh, for training solutions. Uh, when do you think that that care uh, and that level of, of interest in high performance started um, and how has it evolved over time? Uh, yeah, I mean, that's a great question. I mean, I can tell you right now, and I tell the story all the time. Um, I really credit um, my stress fractures uh, at 16 um, when I was, you know, uh, high school athlete, um, I started getting pain and, you know, you'd never really, you just played, right. You just, you just played for fun. Cause we all love just playing, being with our friends. Um, but that was kind of a huge setback. It was my first major injury and, and being shut down, um, was tough. And I remember during the rehab process, I didn't know it's 2002 at the time, you know, you're trying to look at magazines, you're trying to find something about this training thing. Um, so I go to the gym, I had a speed ladder. That was my first thing I ever did. So I saw people with fast feet and I was like, well, I want to be like that. And so I tried and I hear this voice just go, Hey, you want to work out? And I was like, oh, who's that? Come to find out that was Brian McDonough, uh, who was the director of strength and conditioning at the time at uh, core fitness and Walpole. And I, I remember I turned to him and I, you know, this is embarrassing, but I go, what's a workout. And he's like, Oh, it's a set of exercise. We can, we can help you. You know, what are you trying to do? And I, I told him my story. He's like, come on over to my office. And he sat down and I remember he had a full evaluation. He said, what position did you play? Are you right-handed or left-handed? And then, you know, how high do you jump now? How high did you jump before? Blah, 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 blah. You know, what are the areas of weaknesses? And I thought that was really important. I think a lot of times people try to get better, um, specifically the things that they're good at. Um, but I still remember that first, uh, you know, evaluation you did is like, what are your weaknesses? And I think people often forget that is everybody's got something they need to get better at, but we just maybe don't want to address it at the time. So mine was, you know, the injury and this and that. Um, so he wrote me a plan uh, free of charge. And I still remember that to this day, because uh, I think that's part of my commitment to trying to pay it forward, um, whether it's in teaching or training. Um, but that really changed me um, because I went on his plan. I want to say it was eight weeks or so. Uh, and I started getting better and I had less pain and I was like, wow. And then the coaches started saying, wow, you're hitting the ball harder. 
and you're jumping a little higher. And I, I remember we played at Penn state in a tournament and I got my entire face over the net and, uh, you know, in a block for volleyball, you know, pike and penetrate, get over the top. And I had my whole face over and I actually got hit in the face. And that was pretty great because I'd never gotten high enough to get hit in the face. So I was like, wow. And then I got yelled at for having bad technique, but I was like, this is incredible. And someone got a picture of right before uh, I got hit, but just like, you could see everything over. And I remember coming back to him and I go, wow, that's so incredible. Uh, what's this like, how, what is this called? Like, how do you study this? And he was called, he's like, it's called exercise science kid. And he's like, when you go to school, you know, it's not magic. It's, it's physics, it's math. And he just said, just remember, you know, the key is, trying to find your weaknesses and, and develop tools and strategies to, to improve people. And I think that's a never ending journey um, across so many different disciplines. And uh, so that kind of inspired me. And then obviously went to university of Rhode Island, got connected with them, went through that process and did my internship uh, at Salve uh, with coach Blaney. And then that was my first time of actually seeing the application of all this magic I'd been studying. And then I think you learn really quickly um, you're dealing with people. I think that sometimes gets lost because again, I could have the best thing in the world, but if mentally, you know, it's not inspiring or it's not motivating or not connecting, um, it doesn't work. So sometimes the textbooks don't always uh, match up. And, you know, again, whether it's nutrition, whether it's whatever, I mean, at the end of the day, sometimes people just need a conversation, right? They get stressed before a game and you talk and then other people don't talk to them, leave them alone. And I just think as a coach, you're kind of constantly seeking to add tools in your toolbox, um, but then also refining, uh, your efficiency with each one of those tools, if that makes sense. And again, whether it's strength, speed, power, recovery, relationships, emotional intelligence, whatever it is, um, there's just not enough time in the day. And even once you figure like you learn a little bit, you learn something else, you're like, oh my God, I know nothing. And so that's a big sign to me is for my mentors is, you know, that we can confidently say, you know, we're using less than 5% um, of available knowledge uh, to training. And so that's where, you know, that keeps me hungry because I want to make sure you know, anybody we work with, um, you know, we have the very best and whatever that is, and it changes from year to year, but um, you know, it's an ever evolving thing. So, and that's part of the fun. It never gets old. Yeah, exactly. And I think that refinement, yeah, I, like it's definitely true with you. Yeah. I, I didn't even know that about the, the stress fractures. That's where it started with me, you know, when I was 18 and that's where I took a liking to the mental training side of things. And I think that's a, a pretty cool uh, empathy point for us, but also a, a metaphor how a, a breakdown could be a breakthrough and you learning your ways out of it and, and finding ways to problem solve for yourself through that evaluation, through that awareness, and that sets you on your trajectory. But you, you were talking about 2002 and, and decades ago, there wasn't such an emphasis on strength and conditioning, right? You, you didn't even know what a workout plan was. And it seems like uh, athletes uh, relied more on talent and just playing their sport over and over and over again and that practiced it for hours can you elaborate now uh, on this uh, how the importance of speed and strength and conditioning um and do you have any stories that come to mind where uh that kind of particular emphasis of, of the importance on strength and conditioning and recovery is true now more so than it was decades ago yeah i think um especially with technology now um we can really visualize and and make things meaningful um, with visualizations or data. Um, so for instance, you know, back in the day, you should do flexibility. Well, why should I do flexibility? It, it hurts. It doesn't feel good. I don't like it. Usually the stiffer athletes really don't like it. Um, but what we can show is, is that individuals over time that maintain their mobility actually have less injuries or, you know, they're more productive or whoever the individual is, um, you know, reducing time loss. And so I think, again, in an Insta world where I want success today, 
you may not realize that the investment of the workout that you made in August, say for lacrosse, what your workout in August might be the most important thing that happens to you for May or April. And so getting everyone out of the mindset of a tough workout, maybe a tough, maybe a recovery workout that's not very physically demanding, but you have to be mentally locked in and, and getting mentally locked in is just as hard as doing something physical. Um, and I think people often forget that because again, the precision, especially take, you know, any kind of, uh, skill one, one degree, two degrees, the wrong way, the ball flies out of your, your pocket. I mean, you got, you all laugh at me when I go out to the field, I try to shoot the ball, the ball falls out. the back. <laughs> and, and so you're dealing with, you know, small, small fractions of movements that to be locked in and, and focused, um, it's a challenge. And so sometimes we can't physically be locked in, uh, say a max out. Um, but we can be mentally locked in all the time and, and being in command of focus, I think is probably one of the most over overlooked aspects of training. I mean, you, you know, and you've talked to the guys, you know, the warm up is just as important as the, the big lift or, you know, afterwards. And so trying to be able to say for one hour, I'm going to be super intentional. Um, that's a challenge, but I'll tell you right now at Yale, go across any of our teams, uh, our, our, uh, our men, our women, um, the best performers have that ability to say, I'm going to block everything out and be intentional to my craft. And I think that's again, different than back in the day where it was just kind of like, Hey, you go to the weight room and it's kind of like a black box and hopefully I go in in an hour and I'm better when I come out versus now having very clear intention of what am I trying to accomplish today uh, to move me forward in my craft. I think uh, that's the most important thing. I, 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 if you take nothing away from me, when I talk to my, my friends, my peers, my clients, I want you to just be intentional. I was watching uh, the Tiger Woods series, and not only did he start off at 158 pounds, found strength and conditioning, and was 180 by the time he was winning majors, uh, his, his dad, you know, being a Green Beret, would jiggle keys in, in his back pocket while Tiger was trying to putt, and it was just trying to get you to focus. And that's pretty much uh, the most important thing. Thomas, when I when you, I remember you coming to Yale, and and right when you got there, everything seemed to change for the better, and I mean that sincerely. Our injury rate went down, strength and power went up, uh, and even the morale and motivation seemed to spike. Uh, can you talk about what you did from day one? What was your approach, and what was your goals coming in uh, to Yale? Yeah, I mean, I honestly credit um, Coach Shea. I mean, he's such a visionary. Um, again, at any time you have change, it's hard, um, but understanding, and then you know being open to some of the things, you know, being open to, you know, a speed squat, it's not heavy, but it's fast, but, you know, trusting that that will help certain attributes or, you know, whether we want to focus on nutrition or just eating and like, what does a good plate look like? Um, some of your teammates, you know, literally didn't know. I mean, I'll tell a story, you know, when people talk about like, you know, we've got some smart individuals here, um, you know, at Yale, but sometimes like they might not find out that, you know, they, they really like rice or they're allergic to lactose. And so they try almond milk and they feel better. And like I tell athletes all the time, like there's something to be said for feeling good. And I think coach Shea really gave me that freedom um, to work uh, with the team and, and understand that, you know, what you need on day one is different than, you know, maybe what we do in day two. Um, and there's no like one way to do it. And I think sometimes people get hung up on well, like, what's the best way or what's depends on the day, depends on your culture and your culture grows. Culture is to me, no different than a one RM on your back squat. I mean, mm -hmm. you can walk in, I can walk in, you can look and you can be like, wow, this culture is a 50 pound max. And when we get to a 400 pound max, there's different things we can do. But right now, you know, we have to build that. And so everyone knows about it. Everybody's talks about it, but how do you grow it? How do you control it? How do you, um, 
you know, protect it. And again, that, that ride into the point of now, you know, you look at some of our top teams, like, I don't, I don't really have to say much. I just walk in and just, Hey, how you doing? And, you know, let me know if you need anything because that internal drive within the culture uh, as a coach, I mean, that's ultimately what you're striving for, where it's so internally driven. Um, you're there to provide guidance, but I'm not, you remember, I'm not a screamer and a yeller. You know, no. if, we, if we don't have individuals that are motivated, we made a mistake um, in, in the recruiting process. And so I'll take someone who's maybe a little less athletic or a little whatever, um, but if they're excited, intentional, and they really buy into team, um, we can do something with that. And, and we've seen that uh, time and time again of just adding to that. And then across all teams, you know, we had, we had some tremendous success across um, 13 or 13 or 15 teams um, that this past year. Um, and I credit it to the individuals. And, and again, at Yale, I'm so blessed to have like really, really intentional, smart people uh, that buy into it. And I think you guys were, were particularly hungry for it. Um, I didn't ram it down your, your throat and coach Shea certainly doesn't. Um, so I just think it was a great example of how sport coaches and strength coaches um, can build, build from, you know, um, you know, one level and, and bring it up to the next. And I think it's repeatable across a lot of sports. I love your how you're talking about the incremental growth. You, I mean, you subtly touched upon on your last three answers and uh, this whole uh, conversation, this podcast. I, I love to talk about the the mind body connection. I mean, you just compared a one rep max to a culture, and I think that like that's just true, right? If you can get one percent better on all fronts, that's what it's all about. And uh, when I when I asked you what you were most proud of uh, before you came on here, uh, you, you said the Yale program of being part of an incredible team. Uh, can you elaborate on why the program means so much to you, uh, and and who were you referring to when you said incredible team? Oh, it's just everybody. I mean, just, that's the, it's, it's awesome. Like, you know, I know people are probably going to listen to this and, you know, if we could, we'd have to come in and, and view it. Um, but it's just, the music's going, the, the athletes are awesome. The coaches are awesome. Administration's awesome. And everybody's aligned. And, you know, when you get all these things going in the right direction, I mean, you know, people ask me, like, what's the secret? Well, the secret's to everybody, you know, from, you know, every single level. Uh, it's just, it's just awesome. And, and that's what I, uh, I think that, you know, when I say that, it's just, I don't know, it's just, it's just great. Cause you walk in and, you know, turn up the music, get after it. And uh, people are just so excited to get better. And I think that's one thing we try to work really hard as a strength staff um, throughout your time. Very rarely are you compared to anybody else. Um, it's all you and it's your growth. You made it to Yale. You're special. Um, now you may have some deficiencies in strength. You may have some deficiencies in power, pick whatever the thing you want. Um, but all we care about and talk about is just progressively getting better. And you're going to have good days and you're going to have bad days. You might, if you're a sophomore, you might have multiple consecutive bad days, um, but it happens. Um, and that's where your team uh, pulls you, uh, pulls you up. And I think it's exciting um, that through shared adversity and then the training and just that environment where, you know, I get excited when somebody benches 135 pounds, just as excited when I see someone bench 400 pounds um, because you see when that person takes their baseline and goes to this new level, uh, often the physical stuff um, is the precursor to the psychological confidence and, 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 you know, not worrying about fear. And then you reach out to the person next to you or the lady next to you. Um, so I do think that's important um, to set those bars early of just success. You know, I don't care what, I don't care what your vertical jump is. I care. Did it go up a quarter inch this year or more or whatever it is, or whatever your focal point is. So I just, I think that, um, that creates an environment, um, for growth. Yeah. I, I love how you talked about the word, uh, alignment. 
And uh, I was listening to a podcast with Dr. Barry Davis, uh, baseball coach, uh, Ryder University. He was talking about leadership and he, and he said, most failure uh, is a result of having the wrong people. Uh, and that's why I talked about you coming in and having that immediate influence, right? One plus one equals three type of scenario. Uh, and then you talked about everybody, you know, anybody who listens to this inside the Yellow Cross program knows what one means and that's what it's all about. Uh, but your performance philosophy and training regimen uh, helped us, you know, get stronger, win Ivy championships, hoist the national tr championship uh, with the 2018 team. But you've also helped other sports uh, grow and flourish. Uh, could you talk a little bit about that and maybe how your approach might be similar or different? Is it the same with other teams inside Yale? And maybe a story about uh, the growth that you've seen in a different sport as Yale as well. I, yeah, I mean, there's so many. I mean, it's just been such a transformative time. Um, I mean, geez. I think the biggest thing is so whenever we're working with a team and whether it's myself or any staff member, um, the first thing you have to start with is um, the people and the relationships. Again, come back to you can't really be um, just an external motivator. Really, you got to get into the inside and, and really think about what motivates people. What are people nervous about? And then try to foster as a coach, you're trying to foster um, an environment where people aren't afraid to fail and to give that effort. Um, you know, I was fortunate enough to work with our, our women's golf team um, one fall and, you know, the, the transformation from day one uh, to throughout the fall uh, was absolutely inc incredible um, to see them just as they became stronger and they became more confident, they started laughing uh, and they had more fun. And again, at the end of the day, like at some point you can't play anymore. Um, but I think sometimes at Yale, um, you know, it's those experiences you have. Uh, they have nothing to do with the game or whatever. It's just that shared time with your friends. It really makes Yale so special because people ask all the time, they're like, you know, you know, what makes Yale? It's just, you got to like, you know, you got to get here. Like you got to see it. Like you can't until you see it in person, those just magical moments. And maybe it's a chin up on a Tuesday morning and everybody just goes ballistic for someone who's been working so hard to get it. Like that might be one of your memorable times. And I know when we talked earlier, you know, I still remember one of the workouts you did and you're crushing it going to town, absolutely smashing it. Um, and so everyone's looking at you, but I was looking around at all the, the other individuals watching you. So you were modeling the approach to it. You could have, you could have throttled back. You could have done that, but you absolutely went at that workout with reckless abandon and just put it all out there. And then I watched freshmen, I watched sophomores kind of give the look and oh, wow, you know, that, that's, that, that's what, you know, I need to do. And so I think that's important. Um, you know, as you're going to that next level is when you have individuals you can model after, um, that's huge. And so, and again, you've long graduated, um, but there's still remnants of that workout today, um, because it gets passed down. And so I think just, you know, if you're a coach listening, um, you know, creating those moments is almost as important as whatever the reps are sets, you know, three sets of five, three sets of 10, um, the technical stuff, you want to create an environment for those positive things where the team's coming together. Um, and then the biology and the physics, um, is pretty straightforward. Um, but getting buy-in and getting culture going uh, has got to be at the core foundation. I love that. You know, and I thank you for saying it, but you know, what comes to mind is the metaphor that, you know, if the flower doesn't grow, you don't blame the flower, you blame the soil. Uh, and on the other hand of things, you know, if it grows and it flourishes, I think it's uh, ideal. I, I, I was so grateful to have guys like you in our corner, Coach Shea, and, and a team full of motivated individuals. In sports psychology, there's seemingly like three things that you can train, our minds, our bodies, and our crafts. 
I want to turn it over to you and say, can you share something that you do to, to work on your craft? Uh, what resources or activities do you use or partake in to better yourself so that you're, you're better for uh, the Yale program? Yeah, I try to reach out to uh, mentors. So I'm, I'm pretty frequent with that. Um, so I'm very, I'm blessed. Um, William Kramer, um, one of the top researchers in the world forever and been doing it for 40 years. So to be able to talk to him um, just about anything, about life, about the craft, about um, research. Um, I go down the list. I probably got, you know, a bunch of different people that I could thank um, on all aspects too, as you're trying to grow as a professional. Um, and then the other thing too, is really spending a lot of time going back into the history books. So um, whether it's reading field manuals, re whether it's reading about, um, you know, ancient Rome or anything like that, um, I really enjoy looking at the methodologies of uh, how physical exercise and they call it physical culture. The, the Stark Museum at Texas is phenomenal. Anybody listening should go look up Jan Todd um, and Terry Todd's work that they did down in Texas. Um, just this idea of we've known for a long time that training um, is more than lifting weights. And if you go look at the history books and you look at the cultural stuff, you'll see some stuff early on. Uh, about, you know, if I lift this 10 times, now I can lift something slightly heavier 10 times. And so that idea of progressive overload, and then throughout the 1920s into the 1940s, um, when they started, you know, really orthopedic surgeon and medicine, um, started figuring out for rehab and coming out of some of the military research to, to get people back up and running. Um, and really not till 1972, when Boyd Epley was the first paid strength coach, you saw this break into, um, you know, the collegiate environment. And I just try to when I tell people that, I mean, put it in perspective. If you think about the first mathematician, the first uh, medical person, whatever you want to call it, I mean, our founder's still alive, you know. And if you think about, it, that's how new strength and conditioning is. Our founder is mm. still alive, and so that's really where, with technology and, and additional science, um, we're in this renaissance. Of, I don't think I don't think if you could anymore just go in and just yell and say scream, lift weights, and everybody does the same plan, like you know performance is really about individualized dosing um, of, of medicine, of exercise medicine, and, and knowing some days you back off, some days, you know, it's mental, you know, let's just, let's try to like calm down and maybe we're stressed out, work on our sleep. Um, and then other days it's time to get after it. And then learning how to blend that uh, across an, a team or a department or a program, um, it's certainly challenging. And then really trying to never get into the malaise of like, ah, it's good enough. No, we got we got to do the best, and and I think that's what's been so great is having that you know that vision of like we we know what we want, let's go do it, and we're going to do it at a high level, and it's and it's tough for coaches, and it's also tough for to, for the players too, because again at the end of the day they're they're still students at you know one of the most prestigious universities in the world, so trying to balance all that is an act in and of itself. So um, that's why I really look back at the history books um, because if we don't pay attention to that, we often repeat it, and uh, there's some really interesting stuff um, that, you know, again, oftentimes gets lost in the stacks, but uh, we certainly got a lot of books here. So plenty of reading to do. hundred uh, percent. Something I say all the time is uh, emulate until you can innovate, right? And that's what you're doing by looking back at the history books, bringing up uh, progressive overload. I, I oftentimes, uh, maybe I, I just say it off the cuff, but I, I say I got lucky that my progressive overload was in the gym. You know, when I had those stress fractures, I turned to the gym, you know, I, that's what I loved, right? And it just happened to be a positive, but I could have easily chosen a negative and had progressive overload in a bad area. So I, I just think uh, being 1% better is a very time consuming thing. And I would encourage any listener to make sure that's a positive habit that you're stacking because 
it's it's what all the greats do. Uh, you just proven uh, how how long and how into uh, you've been into the realms of athletics and performance. Uh, what is one or two things that you wish you knew uh, when you were first starting out uh, in in this field? Uh, is there something out there that you thought was important that you don't think is important anymore, or is there anything that you you've overlooked but you don't you don't overlook anymore? Um. I mean, obviously there's a ton. So trying to pick two. Um, I, I think the biggest thing is when you start out, you know, I forget what it is. is it, uh, oh, I'm blank. It's something, something with a D. I don't know if it's the drummer effect or the, um, I forget what it's called. It's blank. I'm blanking on it right now. Uh, but you come into it, you study, you think you don't know anything. You study, you graduate college, you think you know everything. And then as soon as you step into the real world, you're like, oh my God, oh, I, <laughs> I don't know anything. And then, then you get like slightly confident. And then like the next level is being like, I'm okay with not knowing anything. Mm -hmm. um, I think I would have gone. And again, you say this in hindsight, but uh, you know, you really got to come into the program, you know, with an open mind and be humble and hungry, you know, and, and oftentimes it's like, Oh, well, Love the that. research doesn't say this or, you know, um, you know, I've always done it this way. You know, I try, I try to listen. And again, if you go think about, you know, some of the conversations with coach Shea or coach Bax or, you know, coach Stim, I mean, there's something to be said for listening. And I try make a conscious effort to try to just listen. And even um, across all sports, someone has been doing it for a really long time. Um, obviously see something or know something because they, they still are employed doing it. Um, but maybe they go about it uh, a little lengthier way. I always talk about algorithms. You hear me talk about all the time. So sorting algorithms, well, one of the first sorting algorithms was called the bubble sort. And bubble sort was great because you could take a large stack of data, um, you know, A A compared to B and the bigger one goes first. Okay, A compared to B. Um, but you individually, one at a time, had to go do the sort. And eventually you get through the sort, um, but it takes quite a long time. Well, different algorithms said, well, let's cut it in half and do that same process in double time or in triple time or in parallel. And I think really when you're listening and you're trying to think about technology, it's like, what can I do um, in order to, to get to that end point? Cause that's what we're all striving for, right? And if you have a team where you're all in the same direction, everyone's gonna bring a different perspective, but ultimately, you know, the goal is to win a national championship or the goal is to do whatever. Um, mm -hmm. There's a whole bunch of sorting of decisions and choices that have to be made. And, and I think for myself, um, you know, really trying to force to listen um, and, and earlier on, I'd be like, oh, that doesn't work. Well, I can, I can tell you some stories where I've met with people and I was like, man, that doesn't seem like it doesn't work. And as soon as you use it and you're like, wow, like how did, the, how did that work? And, and, you know, you remember Kai, Kai would talk about, I've been doing this 30 years, coach Renee. Oh, yeah. you know? I mean, how many times, you know, when we've worked with Jay and, and, you know, he's phenomenal and, you know, he just, he's done it. Like, and so sometimes, you know, when you're working as the team, really keeping open and then how do you complement each other and how do you work together? And I think that's, you know, um, across all of our, our players, um, I think no, nobody really wants to be stand out, right. And then give gratitude to the people around you. Um, and that's kind of, again, part of our culture. I, I am part of a really awesome, awesome team of people um, that make this program um, incredible. And that's across all sports, across everything, top down. Um, and again, until you live it and see it, um, it's hard. It's hard to describe if that makes sense. No, it does make sense. And it's about, I mean, doing your role to the best of your ability. I, I want to go a little bit along the same thread and then probe a little bit more because I think there's something uh, special inside of it. But you, you, you talk about listening and being open-minded and complimenting each other. Is there an exercise, a routine, or a strategy, particular? 
piece of equipment that or factor in performance that you think is underestimated or overlooked that that many people are either often neglect or it could help them in in their health or performance if they paid attention to it a little bit more um so i mean i mean mean, the biggest thing i think it's just overlooked is the consistency like whatever you're going to do like the consistency seems to be one of the hardest things so i'm not going to say you know one test or one lift or whatever i just you know, across the board, like being able to have consistency in your practice, consistency in your routine, you know, it doesn't do you any good if you're really good in the weight room, then you go home and you don't sleep, you know, and it's hard. And how do you manage it? And realizing, you know, that's a dynamic process of how do I go and schedule out my 168 hours in the week, you know, sitting down and how much time is Instagram time? How much time is TikTok time? And, you know, how long did I eat for? Did I actually eat or was I talking? And and again, talking is important, but not if you, you know, 15 minutes times 15 minutes times 15 minutes over, you know, a semester that adds up. And so I, I really, I really think it's the consistency um, in all the aspects, watching film, right? Watch film on a Monday. Are you as locked in on a Thursday or a Friday, mm-hmm. whatever it is. And I, I think that's what really separates uh, good to great. And then the great to the elite um, is it just their willingness to do that. And even if it, you know, even if it's tough, if you got to wake up a little bit earlier, you got to do that because if you're trying to be elite by definition, um, you're breaking away from, you know, a homeostatic, just kind of neutral and yeah. it's tough. I love the consistency part because I've said multiple times, I think that's the hardest thing, you know, uh, confidence is usually what the younger, younger student athlete wants and everybody wants that even, even when they're adult. But I think uh, the way to find confidence is through confidence, but also through consistency gives you that confidence, which can lead to the, conf- the confidence that I was talking about. It's been a while uh, since I've been in the weight room with you coach uh, and I miss it. You know, what are some of those consistent messages i know the students are aren't on campus right now but say they were on campus and what are some of the consistent messages that you're giving to them throughout the week uh what are the reminders that you're making sure they stay focused on like we talked about earlier uh be intentional in everything you do and then do it for the team so you don't put away your bench you don't put away your bench the right way um just because it's a rule you do it for your team because you're proud the way your team leaves the the weight room you know, be intentional, you know, when you grip the bar, you grip with through your pinky and then you wrap your fingers around and you do it the same way over and over again, you know, be, be, um, you know, be a good teammate. When you see someone's down, lift them up when easily you could just, you know, focus on you. Um, really, you know, I think, I think some people are just hardwired for that. I almost like a vertical jump. Some people have a propensity for team. Um, and I think that's one of the greatest things that sports does outside of the actual call it the game of athletics. Um, if you can become a leader and see team and, and build people into teams, I think that translates pretty, pretty smoothly into the professional uh, arena because in every level um, of uh, business, you're, you're going to have a team, right? And it's going to function or it's going to have dysfunction. And can you correct it? And if you've been a part of a great team, whether it's your high school team, your college team, a professional team, you know it when you see it everybody usually starts smiling. Like when, when there's a great team, everybody starts cracking a smile and then every, there's an energy. It's an actual palpable energy. Um, and then when it's gone, you're like, Oh, Oh, this is, this is awful. Or when you walk mm. in and you start coaching and you're like these individuals here, you know, sometimes you feel bad. They don't even, they've never felt it. Like it's just, all I can just say it was, it was an energy. Um, and when, when it's clicking, you just, you feel it. And, uh, 
you know, that's where we really focus on that. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm just as excited. Again, I mentioned before, someone posts a huge vertical jump or hits a PR on their squat. Uh, I'm also really excited when I see uh, sophomore, junior, senior go up and, uh, you know, give someone uh, a high five or, you know, nowadays give them a head nod, do, do whatever the acknowledgement of those actions. Um, because again, every day is filled with these little micro intentions and the team has to self-police that. Um, because again, you're only going to have them for a small window of that time. Um, but again, ultimately when you make that decision, is it for team or not? Um, I think th those things really matter. And I think, th I just think that that's overlooked uh, a lot, particularly by, you know, my, my profession, um, you know, again, weights are great. Uh, stretching's great. Like all modalities. I mean, there's a, there's a use for everything, but I, I think if it's not intentional, I, I don't know how effective it is, if that makes sense. No, I absolutely agree. And I think the, the intentional side goes hand in hand with the uh, energy side of things. You know, what comes to mind for me is that as a motivational speaker, you could do this thing where it's rock, paper, scissors, shoot, modified, and whoever beats the other one, uh, if you get beaten, you become the cheerleader for that person. Uh, and it's this team building exercise where everybody starts, uh, you get down to the final two and who's cheering the most is actually the one that gets the trophy at the end. And the person that wins this rock, paper, shoot, which is basically luck, is not getting at anything. It's the person that was cheering the most. And that was a cool team building thing. But it's all about that energy. I'm going to steal that. That's a great drill. Because if you if you do that, then then you're rewarding the right thing, right? Anybody uh, can work to be the best on the team. It's got to be a consistency of who's going to be the best for the team. You know, I, I love that you keep bringing up the word intentional. Uh, you teach what you know, but you reproduce who you are. You uh, obviously know a lot, right? You're very knowledgeable on a lot of the subjects you talk about with the players and the coaching staff, but you also invest so much of your time, energy, and effort into the program and the players that you work with. I've experienced it firsthand. What advice would you give to someone wanting to pursue the same career similar to yours? Uh, what are some stories or experiences you had along the way uh, that per can provide some perspective on somebody that wants to get into your profession? Yeah, I mean, I think when we look at, you know, young coaches, um, the first question you have to ask yourself um, is, why are you doing this? So my story was that, you know, Brian reached out and helped me. Um, it's a service industry. And so typically one of two things when you become a coach, uh, I think the great ones, it's, it's to serve. It's to serve the game. It's to serve your team. It's to serve your players. Um, but if you're in it for you, um, you typically just because, again, this is a um, – it's a calling, it's a passion. Uh, it's not a nine to fiver. Um, you're going to run into a situation where again, if you're not into serve, um, I just, I haven't seen it work so well. I think the best coaches I, I've worked with all different coaches, young coaches, old coaches, but that common theme is that I'm doing this for my players. Like the room's got to be squared away that the workout has to be tight, you know, one to 3% tolerance on tonnage, one to 3% tolerance on one RMs velocity has got to be within 0.5 meters per second. Like all this really technical stuff. It's, it's exhausting. Um, and yeah. to not lays over those details um, because your athletes deserve it you know, all the time, you know, athletes, the athletes deserve it because you want to come in for that one hour. Um, and that should be the best experience of their day. Um, and you got to do it day after day, hour after hour. Sometimes you'd be on the floor for 15 hours, right. And the person at 6am, you know, wants the best workout. And so you got to bring it, you're on stage. And then same thing at, you know, seven, eight o'clock at night. I mean, that's there for, you've been on the floor for hours, but that that's seven, they're, they're excited to see you. So you got to ramp it up and you got to get yourself fired. Uh, you got to <laughs> leave it out there. So, and uh, I know that's one of the struggles for young coaches. Um, I'm just tired. And it's like, right, but you got to turn it on, 
right? Can you imagine if you went to a concert and they're like, ah, I got to take a, I'm a little off key tonight and I'm a little tired. So I'm going to cut this set short. I know you paid full price for the ticket, but you know, again, it's this, um, you know, the service and this, this product. And again, you, they all won't be perfect. There'll be good lifts, bad lifts, good training sessions, bad. Um, but you know, do you come at it every single day, um, whether a coach or a player to try to get better? You know, we, we constantly go through the workouts and audit. what was I thinking there? What, what was that? What, what worked? What didn't work? You know, why, why did that work? You know, I would never do that again. Oh, actually, wait, it's not so terrible, but you got to be able to have that critical lens um, because the ultimate goal is to make that perfect workout, to make that perfect sequence of dosages of uh, exercise um, to give your athlete the best shot. Um, and they're all different. It's all over the place. You just spiked this, this uh, thought in my mind. There's this story where uh, a guy's an avid Bruce Springsteen fan and he uh, gets tickets from his best buddy to go to his 30th uh, Bruce Springsteen uh, concert in Philadelphia. So they go down together uh, and they actually, actually got backstage passes as well. And the guy is so excited. He sees Bruce uh, after the show and he goes, wow, Bruce, that was the best show I've seen you ever perform. And it was your, the 30th one I've been to. How do you do it so consistently? And perhaps Bruce Springsteen's answer is sports psychology in a nutshell. You know, he thinks for a second and Bruce says, well, right before I go on stage, I say two things to myself. This is the most important performance I'll ever give. And it's just rock and roll. So you're, your answer to me, you know, about, you know, you just love it. It's your calm. It's your passion. You have to be on, but you also have to be the best for that athlete, no matter if it's 6 a.m. or 7 p.m. And that's what the best do. They find it. You know, a true professional does their best, perhaps when they feel like it least, you know. And one of the things I want to ask you is, you know, maybe you can go on talking about periodization of a workout, maybe. But let's talk about the difference between non-negotiables and those things that can be adjusted based on the energy you see in the room or what's going on with the, the team in terms of their growth. Are they getting better? So outside of the non-negotiables, being on time, showing up intentional, are there times where you modify things during a workout or during the week or during the month uh, in order to refocus, readapt and get people going with, with higher energy? Is that something that you do? Yeah. I mean, you have to read the room. Um, the best workout, but you know, morale is down. Um, it's not the time. And so, and I mean, I don't remember if you, if you remember this when you were here, but again, we'll walk into the rack with multiple plans. Um, I mean, imagine if coach Shea or, you know, any of the other coaches walked in, we're going to have one defense. Like that wouldn't work. So your ability to adapt and just, so a lot of times we'll walk to the rack and, and again, you remember the iPads. And so, um, you know, we've got team builder up, so everybody's got their own individual profile, but there might be three different options up on the rack. And so we walk in in the warm up, and it's like, oh man, Glassini's, you know, he's had a really hard exam or, you know, just seems down. Like that's not the day to do really heavy max outs. That's not the day. Um, even if it was scheduled, right? So you make that, just that call, just like you would in a game um, to adapt. And maybe we get to the bottom of it and there's nothing we could do. Uh, maybe, you know, there's something going on at home or whatever, um, but you have to be reactive. And so I think, you know, the programming style we use is called flexible nonlinear. Um, and so that was, again, uh, originated from Dr. Kramer. His book, Optimizing Training is awesome um, if you can get a hold of it. Um, but it basically just says every day you walk into the rack, um, you have to react to, uh, the mental state and then the physiological state. Um, so there's ways that we measure that. Um, and we can get a pretty good read because again, training should build you up. Um, 
not just tear you down. And especially if you get into the in-season uh, part, uh, it can get really tricky. Um, again, the things that you did as a freshman or sophomore, um, you're older now, you've got more miles. And so they, you might be able to do them, but should you is the question. And mm. I know we were speaking earlier and it's really comes down to what is your production on the field? And not only that day, that month, that half, that whatever, um, throughout the course of a season. And, and are you doing, are you pushing too hard in one year that, you know, you affect your contract, you know, in years three, four, and five. Um, and so really recovery and, and preventing decline, um, in athletes is just as important as kind of building them up. Um, and so that's, that's what I think. Um, I think we approach the weight room and kind of that mindset. And I mean, it goes back to listening. I mean, you brought it up earlier about listening, uh, dynamically among coach to coach, but, and I, as I get older and I even spoke, speak to older pros, right. Where, cause I come from the camp where it's harder to stay than become. Right. And I, I think it comes down to listening to your body and your mind. And I'm, I'm happy to hear uh, that you kind of take that emotional approach about it and have a high EQ about it, because I think the time where of, of no water and push harder is, is, is long gone. Um, Lou Holtz, legendary coach says, if you're not growing, you're dying. Uh, just like grass, just like a business, like a tree. Uh, are there any books? I know you just brought up uh, Kramer's, but are there any books or podcasts that you use yourself to stay open-minded and, and to stay motivated? Yeah. I mean, that's a tough one. There's a lot. So I'll have to, I'll have to think on that one. Um, because again, you try to touch in all different arenas. And I, I think I try to really, I think the other thing too, and, and coach Shea will attest this too. I like to read a lot of stuff and, and listen to stuff about cycling. Like I learned a whole bunch about cycling. I didn't know anything about uh, riding a bike. I literally thought you like hopped on the seat and you pedaled the pedals. Um, but then I found out that actually um, shifting is an art. So that's why they spend so much money on electronic shifters. Cause actually when you shift, the goal is to maintain five pounds of foot pressure. And then what I also found is that average riders, recreational riders go 75 to 85 RPM. And so your goal as you're riding is to keep like a video game, keep it in that zone. Um, but knowing that the higher performing guys um, they can put out 95 to 105. Um, and again, if you're a, a, an avid cyclist, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's higher than recreational. Um, because again, you have to be able to deal, um, with some of the metabolic byproducts. But again, um, I look at that and now I start thinking about buffering systems. Now I start thinking about global systems and the buffering on a bike, the buffering and running 300 yard shuttles. Uh, and then I can swing full circle and then think about swimming. Um, and thinking about uh, some of the work that uh, Coach Kippeth did. So again, I forget, I think 25, 26 national titles, something crazy. Um, but Coach Kippeth's philosophy, and somehow I'm going to circle back to that, um, you know, with the way that we approach our golfers, you know, men or women. And so trying to keep an open mind across multiple domains, um, I think has been really helpful. So I would be uh, really, I don't know, there's a lot of different things and it's kind of a uh, it's, it's kind of all over the place, but at the same time, it, it does keep you excited because you're like, oh, that could, that could really work. You know, let me give that a shot. Um, and that's what I think keeps me excited is that it's just, you know, every day you feel like you're falling behind um, just because there's just so much knowledge out there. Now you hop on the computer, you know, you've got millions of years of research uh, and just trying to figure out how to prioritize your time is a, a fun challenge, but a challenge nonetheless. Yeah. I, I, I was just, using this uh, analogy and I don't know why it came up in my mind, but the fit principle when it comes to exercise, right? I was uh, taking analogy to uh, staying in contact uh, with client relations, right? And it's really true. If you can do it with frequency and intensity type and timing, 
Uh, I think there's something to be said about bringing things together. Uh, Elon Musk said that if you can create a semantic tree in your mind and see how branches come together and intertwine, which what you're doing with your golfers and, and cycling, that's what it's all about. But I often talk about you. And I, like I said in the introduction, uh, I feel like you helped me in so many different ways. I'm sure you could even share stories that I don't even remember about what you were doing for me. But I often talk about you with great gratitude because I believe that if an athlete came to you and you had the sports science and the knowledge and the empathy that you do, uh, you, you can really build them the way you build, built me. So what do you think some are of the tangibles or intangibles an athlete needs to have that you can create them and get them bigger, faster, stronger? What comes to mind that an athlete, athlete should have? And then if they go to you and they, they follow your program, you can make it happen. I just think it's trust in the process. Again, um, when we talk about the weight room, again, think about a sport profile might have 200 different endpoints. So what's your max bench? What's your max uh, squat? What's your lunge max? What's your 10 yard dash? What's your, you know, flying, uh, flying 20 time. There's all these different parameters, um, but we're going to, we're going to go after your weaknesses again, come back to that principle. I mean, if you have a 40 inch vertical jump, we may not even touch vertical jump other than check on it periodically, but you know, you can't do a pull up. Um, elite performers sometimes have a hard time doing that because you're, you're, you're making yourself vulnerable, right? Like I can't, mm -hmm. I can't do a pull-up. I don't want to do a pull-up in front of my team, but if they trust you and they trust that, you know, okay, in week one, you might not be able to do it in week two, you might not be able to do it, but like four months from now, you know, when you're trying to take a shot and you come over the top and you know, you're able to do that over and over again, and you don't have a shoulder problem or a low back problem. Um, and it kind of clicks. Um, I think that's it. And I think sometimes too, again, coaches might rush that you need to listen to me because I'm the coach. Um, I really try to avoid that. I want to know you, what motivates you, right? And, and, and get to know that I, I am like, and I can mention before, I never played lacrosse. I can't shoot. I can't, you know, do the things that you guys do. Um, but hopefully individuals see that I, I do really care. And if I don't have an answer, I'm going to, you know, push the boundary to try to figure out if I can find it um, because that's where I fit in all this um, to use every resource um, within the Yale network and beyond um, to make sure that if there's something that we can fix, but if the athletes don't trust you or if the athletes don't understand the process, um, it literally doesn't matter what you do. And I think that's, again, just, you know, throughout time relationships build on trust and trust is through actions. So um, that's up to the coaches early on to kind of, you know, build that. And then once people buy in again, and come back, biology is biology and physics is physics. Like it, that gravity is not going to change, but your mindset and your approach towards it and understanding like, yeah, you know, I didn't jump as high as the guy next to me, or I didn't, you know, run as fast as the lady next to me. Um, and that's okay because I actually got better than where I was. And I just, it's, uh, it sounds obvious, but I think sometimes that's really hard, uh, especially, um, with someone who's trying to be a high achiever. Um, you know, that training environment is so important. And I, 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 although it sounds obvious, I think the embodiment of it consistently is, is the hard part, right? Most of success isn't difficult. It's time consuming. So coming back to that, that kind of consistency among it, you know, what comes to mind when you say that is on the opposite end of different spectrums is trust versus control. And I love that you said your coach can't just force it to happen, right? You can't just have that control at the same time you're trusting something. So working on having that trust takes a lot of patience. You know, you talked about earlier when I asked you the question of what should someone looking to get in your profession uh, think about, and what, what your overarching answer was service, and there's a calling, and it's a passion, it's not going to be a nine to five. 
But since you and I have both uh, a deep kind of obsession and love in, in performance, I want to ask you, what's a myth about high performance that, that you want to debunk? Uh, like uh, for a young coach out there that you could help them out, what should they start or stop paying attention to so much? Yeah, run away when you hear the following. This is the only way you can do it. I mean, we, we see that time and time again. The problem too is if you go back and again, go to the history, really until 2004, most of your strength and conditioning slash fitness was either peer reviewed or it came from a, a source. Um, but really after 2004, you started seeing blogs, you started seeing um, information getting out. And then obviously uh, call it 2010, 2012, um, where social media really became a platform for individuals um, you, you, you know, have 10 units of information. Well, nine of them might not have been vetted, you know, or, you know, again, maybe it's right in a very, very specific, like practical application. Um, but you know, it's not really going to work in a large team setting. And I think that, um, you really got to be careful. And if you look at our workouts, um, most people say the same thing. They're like, wow, I thought, I thought it was going to be like something crazy, like something special. And it's like, well, the specials in the math, the specials in the individualization, um, but really doing the fundamentals well over and over and over and over. I mean, I think back into the fall, I mean, Koshe does the same thing, same drills back to, you know, this passing drill back to this, you know, shooting drill um, because doing the fundamentals um, at an elite level is hard because again, there's permutations and deviations off those fundamental skill sets that go into tactics. Um, but if you can't catch, you can't catch. <laughs> like, like if you can't move your feet laterally, you can't play defense. Like, so there's these fundamental things that I think you always need to touch on. And I think the weight room uh, is the same way. Just prioritizing. What do we have to touch on? And then knowing that if I say defense, uh, I work uh, groins, but we do it on the wrong day, that could be the perfect workout, but just wrong sequence. And then now it gets torn up in practice. And so, um, really, you know, I mean, there's a reason why you would have to have constant communicate. What kind of practice are we running? You know, how are, how is everybody feeling? And then again, that goes across every sport and really trying to blend into that high performance. Like I hate when people are like, Oh, you know, it's just weights. It's like, no, I mean, we may go a whole week where we don't touch weights, but we focus on our breathing and focusing on trying to calm the anxiety or try to like work on, you know, sleep hygiene. Matthew Walker's research is phenomenal. Um, that's a, again, a podcast and a researcher to look at. Um, I mean, there's just so much knowledge there, but the, the end point is sleep's really important. We don't get enough of it. And if you don't have a strategy and a plan on how you're going to attack that, whether it's with a whoop, an aura ring, uh, sleep study, whatever it is, like understanding that sleep, yeah, there you go. Sleep, um, sleep is in a spectrum. It's not like I close my eyes. Yes. I slept eight hours. You might be better off with six, but you know, with different strategies. And again, sleep is its own mega field. And so if you, if you get that squared away, now let's go into mobility, whole different mega field, speed, conditioning and, and nutrition. And there's so many things. So that's why when you ask somebody, it's like, what's your plan? And they're like, uh, you know, I'm good. Can you articulate your plan to me? Yeah. Um, you know, I turn off the blue light on my phone. Right. And, and in their mind, that's the extent of being really squared away. And then you start explaining, you know, other things and you just see the eyes light up because again, a lot of people, they just don't know. And I think one of my favorite things is, um, especially early on with an athlete is when they're like, I feel so much better. 
like forget strength and power and whatever. If an athlete feels better after you work with them, because you got them stretching, you got them, you know, getting enough calories in. Cause again, you remember, um, you guys in college, you're on the go, 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 like bring a snack pack, make sure you get up for breakfast, like these kind of things. And then when an athlete goes, wow, I feel good. All right, cool. Let's try this. Let's try that. But again, some of the books might say, oh, you got to roll them right into max testing the first day and know where your maxes are at. And it's like, man, like, I just, I don't know if I agree with that. And maybe it works. Right. Um, but again, I just think that you got to realize that it's, it's a, it's like holding sand or holding water in your hand. And you got to, you got to hold that thing all semester long. So you got to be careful on how you maneuver. And, and, you know, your goal is to make sure you get through that. You actually even have more um, in your hand over time and you're not dropping it. And I think that's, that's really, it's tough. And especially um, with our Yale athletes, uh, people ask me all the time, like, what do you do to get people motivated to work out? It's like, you know, I honestly can't remember the last time I had that conversation. Nine times out of 10, it's, you know, do less, like try mm-hmm. to sleep. Like the act of recovery of not, um, I don't want to say not doing, because recovery is doing, but the act of recovery is almost like practice. The act of recovery is lifting. It's, it's a thing. And so, just chilling out or not having a plan or taking a nap, um, in the world of recovery, like you could cold tub, you could Normatec, you could scrape, you could, you know, game ready, you could stim. I mean, there's so many different things that you could do. Um, again, if your athletes don't know, then shame on you. Right. And, and finding what works, you know, and, and making sure that they see the connection, do this, you feel better, you play better. And then it all kind of connects. I absolutely love it. Trusting the process. I use that example of sand in the hand uh, with my favorite quote in sports psychology, the probability of the outcome you want increases when you let go of the need to have it. It means trust the process. It means trust the process. I had uh, Ben Ives on here, who's our character coach for the San Diego Seals. Uh, who's a, a Navy SEAL for two decades. And I asked him, you know, what are the elite people? What separates you? Well, what do the elite do? And he says they love the basics. They love the basics, just like you were talking about uh, with, with Shea repeating drills, not till you get them right, so you can't get them wrong, right? And, and, he, and Ben Ives talks about how taking out the trash better be done with the same amount of energy as the sexy stuff. And I love that, right? Because uh, as long as you trust the process, understand that there's more ways than one to do something, and they're constantly looking to evolve, that, that's what's so important. And if you don't read or listen to the Matt Walker podcast, watch his TED Talk, Sleep is Your Superpower. It changed my life. And a little short little strategy that I'll give you, go to your uh, accessibility and then accessibility shortcuts on your phone, click the color filters, tap the power button three times, and you'll get the blue light off your phone. There's a strategy for you. But I want you to talk about more about the recovery side, right? Stress plus recovery equals growth. Can you talk more about, I know you talked about breathing earlier, but you also helped me on that front too, right? I find it harder to recover than it to then to go, 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 just like you were talking about with the do less. What are some strategies that you recommend on the recovery front? Yeah, I think you plan your workouts, you plan your practices. Do you plan your recovery? And getting it, getting it down, getting it down and writing, getting it on your phone um, so that you have it. And, and, you know, again, I think about, you know, you just gave the example on the phone. Another thing is like, some people don't even know that they have a do not disturb you know, shut it off. So even if it's going off all night, ping, 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 just put it, put a do not disturb, you know, have your family or emergency contacts, you know, make it so that they can get through, but just use that, like schedule it and then try to try to lock it in and get as many hours in as you can before midnight. Um, because it exponentially comes back on return. 
Um, so I think, you know, those are again, just kind of subtle strategies. Um, I, uh, I love some of the work that, uh, Tim Ferriss mentioned, um, just about accountability on having accountability partners. It's really tough to go at it on your own, but if you've got a, a group of friends or a team, um, I know some of our, our programs here will have lifting teams or you'll have, um, different subgroups within your organization. It's really to drive accountability and not like, Hey, you need to do this because, because you know what, on that Thursday night, like I need help. Like, what should I eat? You know, I'm stuck at this dining hall and, you know, sometimes it's, you know, just the motivation to have that connectivity. Um, if you can't be in person, um, that really helps. So I think having an accountability partner, um, you know, helps both the the partner that's helping and then, uh, the person who's receiving the help. And again, it comes back to that team service. Um, and then, and then being, you know, being really intentional to help other people. I love it. Thank you so much for this. You know, I, I think the entire time we, we riffed it and we, you and I, we spoke for hours earlier today, but I mean, we could talk about this all night. One of the things that I always come back to um, as my last question was not only are you great coach, I really believe that, but you help others find their greatness within themselves. If I was to turn that to you and ask you when you reflect on it, uh, what does greatness look like to you? How do you define greatness, uh, whether it's in the athletes that you work with or athletes you've seen or performers on any field? Mm. It's tough. I think, uh, yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a really tough question. Um, to me, the greatness is when you, um, when you see that consistent effort to do things at the highest level. Um, and I think sometimes the people get mistaken is that, you know, again, it's not about winning games. I, I, you know, you've heard me say this over and over again, if you're coaching to win games, um, you're not going to win championships because, again, you can't be, you know, outcome and goal oriented. You lose a game and all suddenly now all your prep and recovery and your training goes down because you're sad about the loss of the game. You have to really be locked in. And so regardless of what that outcome finally is, um, to me, it's just watching individuals or coaches at a high level. You know, I think, you know, you mentioned we talked earlier when I walk into you know my staff and I watch them analyze workouts for eight hours. And, you know, we mentioned earlier tolerances on uh, certain lifts or certain loads. We have very fine tolerances. So that means if you were supposed to lift 100 pounds, um, you could lift, you know, you could lift 100. You might also lift 85. Like we, we missed the boat. We didn't actually get the tonnage we want. So those tolerances have to be super tight. And the other thing is sometimes we want light days and you're supposed to lift 100 pounds and you see like 275. And people think that more is better and it's not because that day was actually intended as a recovery to the muscles, uh, not an actual stimulus overload. So that would be overshooting. And so when you go down and you look at our, our young coaches where they're going through every rep and every set of every lift of every athlete, and you just see them going after it for hours and hours and saying, Hey, you know, let's use auto regulation. Let's use bar speed. Let's use force plates. Yeah. Let, let's use power output. Let's use, um, ground strikes. Let's do all these things to really tighten it up. Um, that's pretty incredible. So that's to me is doing it at that elite level. And again, at the end of the day, um, uh, you know, sports defined in those final one, 1%, 2% moments. Um, and sometimes, sometimes you win and sometimes you don't. But that prep usually takes care of a lot of things that that care, um, that consistency, if all those things are going around all year, um, typically you see better results than not. And um, again, the process has to be as um, rewarding um, as the outcome, because, again, you only have a certain amount of games. You have a certain finite end of season, but day in and day out. And the coach has got to be doing it. The players got to be. I think the players see it, too, by the way. 
you know, I can't, I can't ask you guys to be, you know, detailed squared away. You walk up and you're like, coach, I don't think I have a 600 pound max, right? Like you got to make sure that it's incremental. And then the other thing is if an athlete comes up to you and says, I know I got to do this coach. Um, I feel fine. But um, like automatically, you know, this conversation is going to like, they're opening up to you. Um, and I think not being stubborn. I mean, I, I tell the guys all the time, uh, ladies as well, you know, open, like communicate, like I'm expecting you're giving that max effort, but if something's going on, like being flexible, I think the old coaching of like you mentioned earlier, like no water and like, you know, you must suffer and suffering's great. Like, uh, no, like that's not, that's not how this goes. And so um, that's to me as being a lead is trying to be at the top of your craft and you'll know when uh, people aren't, aren't really getting it when they're like, Oh yeah, I'm the best that I can be. I'm the, I'm the best. I am the best. You know, if you talk to, the top guys I've spoken to, it's, I stink. I got to get better. I got to learn more. I'm falling behind and I won't, you know, I won't ever sit there and say, I think, I think we do some things well. And I think there's a lot of things we need to improve on. Um, but it's a never ending evolution. And so that's kind of the way that I think of it, but I don't think I can't imagine ever getting to like a final destination of done, made it, you know, it's gotta, it's gotta yeah. be fun building. I, uh, I want to share a story of uh, that always comes to mind when I talk about you. I was in, in recovery boots, closing in on midnight. You have me eating rice. We're, we're close to the Ivy Championship, and you and I are just talking. And that really means something, a lot. It meant a lot to me, you know, because you weren't just a coach at that point. You were more than that, somebody I can trust to to this day, and I, and I will go to for advice to this day because uh, it's closing in on midnight. You could be sleeping. Uh, and you and you did. You had a four or five or six a.m. workout that you needed to be with another team, and I just appreciate that. Um, and that's why I'm grateful for you because you did help me with my performance, but in many, more ways than one. So thank you for that, uh, and thank you for your time today. I, I'm sure these listeners took a lot of value away. Oh well, no, and then thank you too. Again, part of the the best part about coaching is uh, the relationships and those experiences, and I remember that. I remember that, and and for me, again, it goes both ways. Is it meant a lot to you? It meant a lot to me. Um, and again, those are the stories that I think when you have young coach, I mean, you're going to have so many of those little micro moments and, um, you know, that should mean something to you. And if it doesn't, then you're in the wrong field. Um, but I, I can, you know, we, we can share so many stories uh, just throughout those times, but uh, that makes you laugh and you remember it for years. And oh, by the way, we actually got to like play games too. We got to compete. Like that was like an added bonus, but the other times we got to uh, cry together and that, that was awesome of just, uh, you know, day in and day out trying to get better, um, you know, and, and you would never do anything to take those back. That was, that was awesome. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, coach. Yeah, no problem.